It's good afternoon. Good to see you all. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at Zoe Community Church. We want to welcome you. Uh, if I haven't seen you for a while, it's good to see you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, usually every year we try to get a gift for the mothers, uh, partially because motherhood is such a high calling and also because it's kind of nice, you know, we want to do something. Uh, and we try to do a Father's Day gift too, to not leave the fathers out. Um, but fatherhood is also a high calling, and I say that because this gift might not seem like we think that. <laughs> uh, you'll check it out later. We wanted to get you something that you would actually use, okay? So we have one for every father here. Even if you don't come to Zoe, usually you can pick one up. I think we got some extras. Uh, I think we got enough to give out next year, too. Uh, so you can collect them all <laughs> as time goes on. Um, but we definitely want to honor the fathers in all seriousness. I wanted to say that up here first before you see the gift, okay? Fatherhood is important. Uh, we're not talking about fatherhood from the text. Usually we don't do like special holiday things. Uh, we just open up the Bible and whatever series that we're in and we get into it. We've been going through First and Second Samuel or First Samuel. We're going to get into Second Samuel soon. Uh, but we're taking a break in the summer to go through some Proverbs, Okay, and Eric talked about it last week. I saw the video. So I actually wasn't here last week. Uh, I was kind of tired, so I slept in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, a youth kid, so at Lighthouse, the church that planted us, that planted Zoe five years ago, uh, I served in the youth group as a volunteer, and one of the kids in youth group actually emailed me last year and said, hey, I'm getting married, and I was wondering if you could do my wedding, if you could officiate the wedding. Uh, and I said, I can't do that. You're only 12, man. Like, but it, it had actually been 13 years. He's 25 now. So I was like, I guess I can do it. Uh, it was in Austin. So I went down and I did the wedding. So I wasn't here last week. Um, I don't even know why I talked about that. Anyway, oh, it's because I was watching the video of Eric's sermon. And he said, the reason why we're doing Proverbs is because we think you're foolish. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, last time we let that guy up here. Just kidding. Um, but the real reason why we're doing Proverbs, as I said the first week too, is because we want to grow in wisdom. We're not saying that you're fools, but in some ways we are all foolish, okay? We all can grow in being more wise. That's why there are three books that are expressly dedicated to wisdom in the Old Testament. There's Proverbs, there's Ecclesiastes, and Job. And Lord willing, we'll get through a lot of these books as the years go on, but we wanted to spend some time in Proverbs. Also, people are traveling a lot, doing weddings, stuff like that. First uh, Samuel's a story where every passage follows the one before it, so we wanted to do something where we could kind of have standalone sermons. So we're looking at different Proverbs, different themes. Today, we're talking about our first topic of wisdom that we've gone over. Okay, so first week, we talked about wisdom in general. Second week, fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That was all prolegomena. That was all foundational. But today, we're starting with our first proverb. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 17. Some of you have this Proverbs memorized. Uh, you know this one by heart. You've heard about it. Maybe you've even heard a sermon on it before. Proverbs 17, 17. Try to guess what the topic is. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. God, we come to your word. 
God, we sit before it. God, we know that we, on our own, we do not possess wisdom. But we know, God, that you say in your word that if we ask with faith, that you will give it to us. And God, you have given us this word. You have inspired it. It is perfect. It is holy. And God, I pray that you would use it to impart wisdom into our lives. And God, especially when we talk about wisdom, I just pray that you would help us to live out what we're learning. God, wisdom isn't meant to puff us up, but it's meant to sharpen us. It's meant to make us more like Christ, who is wisdom. So God, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would be with us, that you would be our guide. And I pray, Father, that we would be transformed. God, we're thankful for Christ. We don't want to forget him, even as we talk about something that on the surface seems so practical, maybe not even super spiritual. But God, we know that Jesus is our true friend. So, Father, we look to him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever had trouble making friends in your life? Maybe you were a kid who moved to a new school. That's a kind of common experience for a lot of kids. And it was hard. That first day, you're at lunch, and you don't know who to sit near. You don't know where to go. Maybe you're new to Dallas, Okay, this area, there's a lot of people moving into this area. Most of you that I know, you're not from here originally. So when you came here, you had to start over. You didn't know a lot of people. You had to make friends. Maybe you're still making friends. Or maybe you're kind of an introverted person. I know a lot of introverts in my life, and they say, it's hard for me to connect with people. It's hard for me to go out. It's hard for me to talk. Whatever the case is, have you had trouble at any time, maybe right now, in your life, making friends? I read this story uh, about this guy named Paul Feig. I think he's, a, he's like a movie producer now or director or something like that. But when he was a kid in middle school age, 11 or something, his dad pulled him aside and he said, son, I noticed that you don't have a lot of friends. Kind of a hard thing to hear, right, from your dad. He said, I noticed you don't have a lot of friends, so I want to help you out before it's too late. And he gave him the book on friendship. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's an old classic how to Win Friends and Influence People. Anyone read that book? Okay, no one wants to say. A couple of people. It's actually not as bad as the title, what have you believe. Uh, it's okay. It's an old book. But anyway, Paul's dad gave him this book. He said, read this book, apply the lessons in it, and go, my son, and make some friends. Now, Paul, he actually had the average amount of friends. He just didn't bring them over to his house a lot. But he's like, man, my dad thinks I'm a loser. I guess I should read this book. I, I can improve at least and make some more friends, maybe. So he read the book. Um, but because he was young and maybe because his dad didn't guide him at all, he applied the lessons almost too literally. Okay, so one of the lessons in the book that he was talking about was when you meet people, remember their name and use their name in conversation. Right? It's a way to show that you care, that you're listening to them as an individual now, he applies this as a kid who's in class with 30 other kids he's grown up with. So he knows their name. They know his name. But he starts using the name nonstop. He's like, what's up, Dave? How was your weekend, Dave? Good to see you, Dave. And people are like, what's wrong with Paul? Man, this guy's so weird. He was creeping them out. On top of that, the book talks about being a good listener. Ask questions. Be genuinely interested. This is good advice, good practical advice. 
But when you're a kid in school, right, you don't ask like a lot of questions to each other when you're 11 years old, right? He sees his friend and like, so how was uh, your day? How's your day going? They're like, oh, it's going okay. I got in a fight with my brother. Like, oh, was it a physical fight or a verbal fight? He's like, uh, he punched me. Like, oh, did it hurt? Uh, what was the follow-up with that? Did you go to the doctor? What did your parents say? He almost became this mini, like, investigator, like CSI slash therapist asking a million questions. He wasn't a regular kid. But then it started to kind of work, he thought. So his class decided to do this exercise of electing a class president, and they voted for Paul. Everyone voted for Paul, and he became the president. And his dad was super pumped. He said, wow, it actually worked. The book worked. You won friends, and you influenced people. So he starts like doing this president thing, but he's terrible at it. So the teacher says, you know what? There's another lesson we could teach you about this thing called impeachment. Let me walk you through that. And the class had fun impeaching him and removing him from office. At the end of the day, all in all, even after reading the book on friendship, he ended up where he started. Maybe you could even say he ended up worse. Because before, he was not a president at all. Now he's an ex-impeached president who got removed. He's like Nixon level. The truth is... In reading this story, even in Paul reflecting upon it, the truth is friendship is not easy. That's kind of the lesson, right? And I think all of us know it. We don't need to learn from Paul Fagg or from Dale Carnegie who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. We know it from our own lives that friendship can be tricky. It can be messy. It can be hurtful. Someone said one time that one of Jesus' most underrated miracles was that he made 12 new friends, good friends, at the age of 30. Who can do that? Who can make 12 good friends when you're already 30 years old? He must be the son of God. It's hard to make good friends when you're a kid. It's hard to make good friends when you're an adult. It's hard to make good friends, period. Now, if we're going to talk about wisdom, if we're going to go through the Proverbs, We need to talk about friendship because the truth is friendship is all over this book. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you know that. The word friend, if you do a study, shows up 14 times in the ESV translation. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But in Hebrew, the word for friend shows up a lot more than that. We learn that friendship in this book is sweet. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We learn that there can be consequences to choosing friends unwisely. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. And there's a lot more than that. In fact, when I was going over this sermon with James, he said, you got to cut some of them. Okay, too many. Okay, there's too many to talk about. And that's the point. It's no exaggeration, I think, to say, biblically speaking, that friendship is super Important. In fact, it's one of the most important aspects of living a good life in God's world. And yet, what exactly is friendship? Let's kind of dig into these questions that might be so obvious and yet we never think about them. What is a friend? Why is friendship important? Why would God even care? Why is that in the Bible? Why is friendship such a big deal? What's so special about it? And then more pertinently to us, because we're talking about wisdom, how do we get better at friendship? It's not a static thing. Okay, I make friends easily. I don't. The Bible says that you can actually get better at it. So what does that look like? Let's get into it. Three points today. 
from the text, and we're going to look at some other Proverbs too, but three points. First, a definition. Okay, we're going to talk about what friendship is. Second, a viewpoint, what makes friendship special, how we should view it and value it. Third, a transformation, what to do to hopefully get a little bit better as time goes on. So first, a definition, a definition. Just so we're on the same page about what we're talking about when I say friend or friendship. Look at the text, Proverbs 17, verse 17. The first two words, a friend. We'll just stop right there, a friend. Let's start with that word. When you hear it, what do you think of? Okay, when I say think about a friend, what pops into your mind? Is there a person, a definition, an idea, an experience? I mean, words have meaning, correct? It's not always wise for us to assume that we all know what simple words really mean. In fact, a lot of times, as I said, the simpler the word, the less we think about what it actually means. The more we assume, the more we jump to conclusions, maybe the less we are on the same page. So let's get on this page, God's page. But let me tell you a story first by way of example. Okay, I've shared this story before years ago. Um, but I have a cousin, and I have a lot of cousins, but I have this one cousin in particular, and we're the same age. Okay, we're only a couple of months apart. Every summer, we would hang out together. Uh, he would come to visit me, uh, or I would go to visit him. He lived in Seattle, um, but we would visit each other. We would hang out. We had a grand old time every year, our whole lives. So at the end of high school, we go to this Christian camp, and we're both there. And someone asked us, hey, are you guys close? And while I'm saying, yeah, for sure we're close, I hear him say out of his mouth, not really. At the exact same time, I'm like, yeah, we're so close. And he's like, not that that close, honestly. And I was truly shocked. Okay, this is one of the most humbling experiences of my life at that point. But he was thinking completely different than me. I said, but wait a minute, we're like the same age, right? We saw each other every summer. I would go to Seattle or you would come to Los Angeles, right? We hung out so much and he was like, that's not really what close is, right? We don't talk that much. I only saw you once a year max, right? It's not like I call you or we see each other day to day. Do you even know like what's going on in my day to day life? And I'm like, I guess we're not that close. And to this day, we're still not that close. And that day I also learned never trust your cousins, Okay, there is a friend that is closer than a brother, and there are many friends closer than a cousin. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the lesson. Actually, I learned that I hadn't really thought a lot about what closeness meant. Now, that was in terms of family, but even in terms of friends, right? I know people talk about, oh, this is my best friend. This is my BFF. This is my bestie. And the other person is like, yeah, we're not that close. So what does that mean? We don't want to be similarly sloppy with our definition of closeness when it comes to friendship. So how do we define friend? How do you define it? Do you define it the same as I do? It doesn't really matter. What matters is we define friend the way that God does. There are a lot of aspects to friendship. For some of us, there's a time aspect, right? It's, I can't be your close friend unless we have years of living together, all these battles fought, etc. Other people, we clicked on the first time we hung out, and now we're best friends, I guess. Maybe it has to do with common interest. We have to agree on the most important things. 
Maybe it's just a feel or a vibe, like we just get along so well. We must be friends. Let's talk about the word specifically here in the text. The Hebrew word, it's the word reah. Okay, reah. And here's the interesting thing, okay? If you do a Hebrew word study of reah, you'll see that it appears dozens of times in the scriptures, and yet it's not always translated friend. Sometimes reah is translated in context as neighbor. It's very strange. Because for us, neighbor is the person who lives next door. We might not even know their name. They're not our friend, necessarily. A friend is like my buddy. And yet in Hebrew, reah is friend and neighbor. And it gets even crazier. In other contexts, reah is translated as lover. As lover. Lover and neighbor. Reah and friend. What does this mean? Well, think about it like this, okay? In English, I looked up the word friend on Google just to see kind of what the people are saying. And it's just the average definition of friend in English. It's a person that you know that you have a bond of affection with. That's what a friend is, someone that you like and they like you to a certain extent. In Hebrew, that's not what a friend is, necessarily. Rea. Rea doesn't have to do so much with affection as it has to do with proximity. You see what I'm saying? Not so much affection as it is in English, but more about proximity. It's the person that is near you. That's why it means neighbor. It's the person who lives next door to you. That's why it's lover. It's the person who sleeps next to you. That's why it's friend. It's the person that you live around. You may or may not really like your Rea, but your Rea is the person close to you according to scripture. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at friendship, but it's very important that we get this as a foundation for building good friendships. See, for us, okay, it's a little strange. And really, anytime we read the Bible, we should do this, okay, because the world of the Bible is different than our world right now. Okay, we're separated by distance. This was written in the Middle East. It was written a long time ago. Proverbs was written like 3,000 years ago, give or take. The world then was different. The world Solomon was living in, writing in, writing to. I mean, people would grow up. They would be born. They would grow up. They would live and they would die in the same general area. Unless there was like a major war or something like that and they got taken over. But basically, that was your life. These like 100 people. That's the small pool where every relationship is being drawn from. This is where your wife's coming from or your husband. This is where all your friends are. These are your neighbors. It's kind of the same thing. You can see why the word is used that way. Now, our world is very different. Our world is transient, right? They couldn't even imagine what we're doing. We take airplanes and we just fly 500 miles away and just move somewhere else. Same country. A lot of us, I know a lot of you guys, you're not from this area. You're not from Allen. Okay, you didn't know Mr. Allen or whoever he was. Most of us here were born somewhere hundreds of miles, thousands of miles away. We move multiple times in our lives. We start over. We live in a hyper-connected world where you can go online and you're like, I I don't like any of these people near me. Okay, all these people, uh, they're not friendly. They're not into the same things as me. I'm going to go online. I'm going to go on Reddit. I'm going to find a subreddit where everyone has the same interests as me. I'm going to go on social media, find a Facebook group of people who are similar to me, and I'm going to connect with them. We're not stuck with the people around us, so we move on. We spread out. We go looking. They were stuck. Now, 
Does this mean that you should never move or can't have old friends from your hometown still? Does this mean you can't bond with people on the internet? Does this mean that this text isn't relevant for us since we exist in a different world? No, no, and no. Okay, you can have some friends online. That's cool. It just means we need to understand what we're dealing with when we read God's word. We think of in terms of, okay, my neighbor, we're not friends. We just live near each other. My wife, are we friends? I'm not even sure. I mean, we're married, but I, hypothetically, right? Me and Christine are like best friends. Um, but anyway, the question for Proverbs isn't, is this person your friend or not? That's the, the shift we need to make. The question isn't, is this person a friend or not? How am I supposed to know? The question is, all these people around you are your rea, so are you a good friend or a bad friend? Are they a good friend or a bad friend? Proverbs is about good rea or bad reas. Remember, Proverbs is about wisdom. Okay, now I don't want to belabor this point, but the Hebrew term for wisdom, hokmah, remember, what is it about? Is it about knowledge itself? Not by itself. It's about knowledge applied. Hokma is about skill, being good at life. That's why this series is called Better, because it's about getting better at these things that Proverbs talks about. So what Proverbs is concerned with when it comes to friendship and wisdom is getting better at the skill of friendship, becoming a better friend. Okay, it's not, am I a friend or not? It's, you already are in proximity to these people. How can you be better. So the question really after that is what makes a good friend and what makes a bad friend? Here's where we can bring in the rest of Proverbs to flesh these things out. There are three things. If you look through all the Proverbs, I saved you the work. Okay, actually a commentator that I read saved me the work. But he went through every single proverb that talked about friend or rea. And he said basically the good friend, according to Solomon, according to the word of God, has three characteristics. First, care. They care about you. In this proverb we're unpacking right now, a friend does what? A friend loves at all times. This is right there. A good friend does what the Bible says, what the law says to do. Leviticus 19.18, do you know what it says? It says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But now that I've done this long Hebrew thing with you, what do you think the word is for neighbor in Leviticus 19.18? It's rea. You shall love your Rhea as yourself. You care for them as you would if they were you. How do we care for ourselves? We think about what we want, and we go get it. We think about what we don't want, we avoid it. If it's cold, we change the thermostat to the temperature that's comfortable for us. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you think about them instead of you. So this is why you have a proverb like Proverbs 25.17, which says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house your Rhea's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That's in the Bible. Don't go to your friend's house too much because he might get annoyed with you and hate you. Don't burden them. Don't be that, don't be that 90 sitcom next door neighbor who just shows up every single day. Don't be Urkel. The issue is think about whether or not you're being irritating to them. It's about caring for another person, not just thinking, oh, I feel like hanging out right now. It's do they want to hang out? First, it's care. Second, candor. Candor, that honesty, right? Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, a good friend will tell you the truth to help you, even if it hurts you. And I think some of you guys know that. Some of my best friends in my life have said some of the most hurtful things to me, and yet we're still friends because I knew it was true, and I knew it was because 
they cared for me. Candor and care go hand in hand. See, a bad friend will lie to you. A bad friend will avoid uncomfortable situations because they're uncomfortable. It's not worth it to them. They don't want to deal with it. A bad friend will flatter you because it's easier. And Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet, meaning he's laying a trap for you. It might not be intentional, but that's what he's doing. You don't tell your friends where they need to shape up. And sooner or later, the real world is going to slap them in the face and ruin them because you didn't help them. You're heading toward disaster, my friend. Someone's got to tell you that. And listen, good friends, again, will have candor because they care. You can always find critics. You can always find people who will just love to share their opinions with you, good or bad, usually bad. Let me tell you about yourself. You're kind of ugly and not cool. You know, like, you'll always find people like that. They don't have a relationship with you. They don't care about you. They're just dropping in to give you the bad news and dropping out. They're just dropping bombs flying away. But a good friend will give you a faithful wound. Right? It's the difference between a surgeon and a guy who just stabs you on the street, you know? Like, it might be the same result, but the surgeon is there to patch you up at the end, you know? See, a good friend has care and has candor. And then third, a a good friend, a wise friend, loves at all times. He or she is constant. Care, candor, constancy. A good friend is both your biggest cheerleader and your most constructive, keyword, critic. A good friend is the kind of person you laugh with and cry with. A good friend is available, is around, is loyal at all times. A good friend is there. So let me ask you, I know that this was a lot just on one word, but let me ask you, do you have any good friends? This might be a painful question. This might be a joyful question. I know all of you are in different places, but the question is the same. Do you have any good friends? If you do, praise God. And I mean that literally. I'm giving you an imperative. You should praise God and thank him because friends are a gift. Every good Every perfect gift comes from the Father who is above. You should give him thanks. There are few things better in life than good friends. We'll talk about that in the second point. And I think a lot of us do. So give thanks. You can do it right now. You can do it silently. We can think of someone in our lives who is caring, who is honest, who is always there. But I also know that for a lot of us, or at least some of us, Asking that question feels like a wound already. It's a sore spot. Even if we have some good friends, we could think of others who let us down, or we think of friends we used to have, but they moved away, or we had to move, and now we're feeling like a blessing has been ripped away from us. Maybe we've just never had it. Most people in church do not admit admit this kind of thing, only to the pastor, only sometimes. I've never really felt Like I've had a deep connection with anyone. Maybe we've been surrounded by a lot of people, a lot of reyes, but none of them were good friends in the way the Bible speaks of good friends. And now, right after years of trying, of putting our hopes in certain people, of moving to a new place, hoping that the the situation would be different, of friends letting us down and hurting us, We feel like, what's the point of this message? Let's do something theological. When are we getting back to 1 Samuel? Super funny. A couple of people after the the Proverbs sermon, uh, the first one I did, they came up to me and they said, I miss 1 Samuel. And I was like, this is why we're doing Proverbs, man. 
for you, dude. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, even Christine was like, hey, are we doing First Samuel soon? And I was like, that's it. We're doing Proverbs for the rest of Zoe's life. We're never going back. No. Friendship is hard. Friendship is something that I think we don't want to dwell on all the time. But friendship is in here. So second point. A viewpoint. Okay, we had a definition of what a friend is. A viewpoint, we need to view it the right way because it's in the Bible. See, it's tempting to view friendship as something that's kind of sub-spiritual. There are important things we need to do. I got my brothers and I got my sisters. I got my relationship with God. I got my marriage. These are the important relationships in my life. And yet the Bible talks about friendship all the time. We can't ignore it. Good friendship is not necessarily an optional thing. And yet we view it that way. If it happens, that's great. If it doesn't, oh well, right? I can live a good life still. And I'm not saying you can't live a good life totally, but you'll still be missing out. I mean, we're preaching through Proverbs partly because Proverbs does talk about things that sometimes we avoid as Christians. So even if friendship is hard or it's a sore spot or we feel like it's not that hard, whatever, wherever we're coming from, we need to view it biblically correctly. We need to value it biblically and correctly. Okay, I was reading this book um, with a couple guys at church called Disciplines of a Godly Man. I'd read it before in my life. And there's a chapter on friendship. And he was saying, it's an older book. Okay, it's kind of dated. But he was saying that there was a study done. And less than 10% of men say that they've had even one good friend in their entire lives. And maybe it's gone up. I don't think it's gone up 90% since then. Maybe for women it's different. But anecdotally... Again, like what I was just saying, talking to people in my life, uh, all sorts of people, young and old, men and women, talking to many of you, I know that friendship is one of the hardest things in your life, in your day-to-day actual life. You're having drama with a friend, okay? Something happened with this one friend. Some of the, the most wounding experiences happened with friends. And then when I talk about being a friend, you're like, dude, I don't even have time for this. I'm trying to just read my Bible and live. And I'm busy, though. I have family. I have a family to take care of. I've moved around a lot. i got to start over. I mean, friendship, a lot of us, we think it's nice, but we don't think of it as necessary. And you know what? It's not. Okay? It's not necessary. And that's what makes friendship so special. Okay? Follow with me. Let me explain this by way of illustration. C.S. Lewis, okay, the famous Christian writer. Um, if you know him at all, you know that he was a guy who had a lot of friends. In fact, he was converted through kind of the ministry of friends. Right? So if you know his story, C.S. Lewis, he's a brilliant guy. He was an intellectual, but he was a committed atheist. But he had these friends, some of whom were religious, like J.R.R. Tolkien. And they had a lot of things in common. They, they were the same age, um, but they kind of connected over, you know, just literature and work and stuff. They would get together. They would hang out. They would talk. And through his relationship with them, he kind of got to seeing that believing in God might not necessarily be as dumb as he thought. Because my friends, they're pretty smart, and they believe in God, and it was a long process, but God used his friends to save him. Now, years later, Lewis wrote this about friendship, and he always treasured friends. But he said, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. See, what makes friendship special is that it is unnecessary. Friendship is not something that is imbued with obligation. 
You don't need it to make kids or to make money. It's a relationship for the sake of relationship. It's a blessing that is purely blessing. If you look at the text again, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let's unpack this. Let's start by making sure we understand what a proverb is. This is the first actual individual proverb we're unpacking. If you read the book of Proverbs at all, you know that after chapter 9, all the intro, there are all of these individual proverbs that seem to not be organized in any way. Okay, they aren't arranged by theme or by topic. So you'll have one proverb that's about money. And the next one is about like ants, you know, like the bug. And then it's about your wife. And then it's about your husband. And then it's about being old. And then it's about fear of the Lord. Each proverb is a self-contained nugget of wisdom. Now, in Hebrew, you see that each of these nuggets of wisdom, each of these individual proverbs are actually written as poetry too, which is kind of interesting. So they follow a certain form. Now, in Hebrew poetry, there's this thing, uh, this uh, defining feature of it called parallelism. The two lines of each proverb mirror and reflect each other. Okay, so you see this in the Psalms. If we ever preach the Psalms, we'll talk about it again. But in Hebrew poetry, they parallel these ideas line by line by line. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, in English poetry, we do parallelism too, just by sounds, by words, by rhyming, right? I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am, right? That's how we do it. That's how you know it's poetry because it rhymes. In Hebrew, you know it's poetry because the ideas match, okay? You see what I'm saying? We'll see this in the next few Proverbs we go over too. They rhyme ideas, not words. Now, that's the basic gist of it, but there's more. Okay, sometimes the second line builds on the first line. It's a more advanced form of parallelism. And then sometimes the second line is a contradiction of the first line. It's a mirror image. It's the opposite. So Proverbs 17, 17, now that I told you all of that, what is it? What do you think? Is this the same idea twice? Is it an idea building on the first idea or is it an opposite idea? What do you think? Kind of a trick question, okay, because scholars argue about this all the time for thousands of years because the word and there in the middle can also be translated but in Hebrew. This proverb is somewhat ambiguous, and I think biblical scholars will argue about this until the new heavens and new earth. But I think what's clear here is that it's actually both. A friend is being compared to a brother. There are some similarities, but a friend is also different than a brother. Let me show you what I mean. Notice, look at the text. A friend loves when? At all times. Not just good times, not just bad times, not when it's convenient, not when it's inconvenient, all times. But then notice that a brother, he loves when? In adversity. In the worst times. I heard a preacher share once about when his father died. His father died when he was pretty young. Okay, I think he was in high school. He was a teenager still. Um, and he had an older brother, and they weren't close at all. He said they would fight daily, maybe even hourly. Okay, they didn't like each other. They're, to this day, they're not close. Okay, they're probably like the same level as me and my cousin, maybe even worse. But they weren't close. And yet he said when their dad died, he said, who was the first person on the phone? He's like, who was comforting me? Because he was 
He was the younger brother, okay, who was comforting me, who was standing next to me at the funeral. My brother, he said, that's what brothers are for. Even though we don't even like each other, really, we love each other, right? This is what family is about. And a sister is for that. Siblings are for that. You might not get along with your siblings that well, but when disaster strikes, there's a bond you have, a bond that is not easily broken. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. It's not saying that a friend is good and a brother is bad. But what it is saying is that even though a brother is born for adversity, a brother will be there for you at the worst of times. A friend, a true friend, will be there for you at what? all times, every time. A true friend, a good friend is even better than even a brother. Okay, I didn't say that good, but you see what I'm saying. A true friend is someone that loves at all times. What makes friendship special is a love of volition, a commitment. It's a loyal love, a love that isn't based on necessity, like we have the same genes, a love that isn't based on emotion, like we're in love with each other. There's romance, a love that isn't based on convenience, like having the same interests, or we just happen to like the same TV shows, or have we have the same political taste. It's a love based on love. It's based on choice. That's why Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The word for companion there, interestingly enough, is rea. I think that what it's saying isn't just that having a lot of friends is bad and having one friend is good. Okay, I don't think that's the whole message. That might be part of it, you know, quality over quantity. But I think what it's saying is that you still might get ruined even if you have friends. That's just part of life. But there will be a friend who will stick with you even closer in that day of calamity than your brother. I mean, Job's friends, they gave terrible advice, but they showed up. This kind of friendship is exceedingly rare. People call each other best friend again or, or BFF, brothers for life, but the proof is in the pudding. There is a friend who will stick with you closer than a brother. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. These friends are rare. And you often find out who your true friends are when things go bad. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And verse 6 of the same chapter, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. There are certain friends that you can win with money. You can buy them out. There are people who are your friends only for what you can give them. But what Proverbs is saying in composite is that these are not good friends. But the best of friends is basically the best relationship that you could ever have. True friends are your friends simply because, period. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay? I'm not giving you permission to hang out with the boys, okay, and leave your family at home every day because friends are a blessing better than wives and children and stuff like that. The Bible doesn't say that. Okay, obviously, you have a closer relationship with your husband or with your wife. You're one flesh, it doesn't say friends are closer to you necessarily than anyone else. Children are a blessing. Brothers and sisters are a blessing. But what the Bible is saying is that there is something special about friendship. Kind of the ironic paradox is that friends are unnecessary, and that's why they are so necessary. 
So before we move on to the final point, let me ask you, do you value friendship the way that you should? Like, has it even been on the radar? I mean, there's a reason why the Bible talks about it, why we chose to start this whole series with friendship. Do you value it? And remember, this is wisdom. This is hokma. This is knowledge applied. This is useless if it doesn't change anything in your life. I mean, if I told you that right outside there was a treasure chest filled with a billion dollars worth of gold or whatever, Bitcoin. I know Bitcoin isn't in a chest, but you see what I'm saying. There was a billion dollars outside, and FUMC said, it's fine to dig. Here's a shovel. You just got to put in a little effort in the hot sun. I know it's hot. I know you got to dig a little bit, but you can have it if you dig for it. What would you do? Would you just leave, go to your car, and go home? That would be foolish. So if friendship is so special, if it is one of the greatest blessings in this world that God has made, why do we neglect it so much? How come we don't pray for it? How come we don't make time for our kids to hang out with other kids so they can make friends? How come we don't pray for our kids and they would have good friends? How come we don't carve out room in our schedule just for people so that we can grow in that way? How come we don't meet the people that we go to church with? I mean, I, I know friendship is beyond just church, but this is an easy application. In fact, I was talking to a pastor this week, and I was talking about, he knew that we're preaching through Proverbs. Uh, he said, I'll pray for you. I know everyone wants First Samuel, but you're going to do Proverbs. I'll pray for you. But he said, you know, the interesting thing about Proverbs, and we were talking about friendship too. He said, the interesting thing is he feels like at church, almost everyone who has trouble or problems or issues with friendship, they're people that are the last ones in and the first ones out. They're not even around. See, what makes a good friend a true friend is that they love at all times, right? So how are they going to love you at all if, they aren't, if you aren't even there for them to love? I mean, I preach this about church again, but this applies to every single relationship in your life. I think the all times thing is very key. If you're never around, you don't even give them an opportunity to love you. You got to value friendship. And listen to me, there is nothing like a true friend. So first, we got to know what friendship is. Second, we got to view it correctly. Third, quickly now, transformation. If we've been listening to what the Bible's been saying, okay, and it's a simple verse, we should approach things differently. We have to. If we want things to change, then we need to change our approach. It's how we grow in wisdom. It's a paradigm shift. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me out of Proverbs for a second to Luke chapter 10. I know uh, this might be not what you're expecting. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. Let's go to a man who is greater and wiser than Solomon. And before we get into this passage, I just want to say real quick, I know some of you are thinking like, thanks, pastor, right? I already have been wanting friends and you're just making me feel guilty about my friendships. I mean, I do value friendship. It's just friendship is hard. People are hard. And the truth is, 
I understand. Okay, my job is people, and of course it's no one in Zoe, but people are hard. People are difficult. Friendship is difficult. It's easier said than done. I know some of you have tried to put yourselves out there, and you got burned. Some of you thought that you had a best friend for life, and they betrayed you. You didn't do anything. Maybe you just don't click with people. You keep trying. People don't invite you to stuff. And the truth is, I don't, I don't want to minimize your relational pain at all. But we can't give up, give up on friendship. So what do we do? Luke 10. I think you'll know this passage, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Common question that Jesus got a lot. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It's the Shema and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer, this guy who's an expert in the law, he knows the sum of the law. He understands it. He gets what Jesus is about. So Jesus says in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But here's the question. Okay, how am I supposed to do it then? There are a million people around me. Is everyone my Rhea? I just got to love every single person as I love myself. It seems pretty crazy to think about. Verse 29, that's exactly where he goes. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he knows he hasn't loved everybody. Surely no one can love everybody. So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do you guys know this parable? The prodigal son, just kidding, it's the good Samaritan. Okay, you know, one of the most famous parables of Jesus. There's a lot in here. You could preach 40 sermons on this text and not exhaust it all about salvation, legalism, mercy. But I want to point out just one thing. Notice what Jesus said at the end. Notice that Jesus didn't exactly answer the question. No, matter of fact, he changes the question. The question itself apparently is wrong. What did the lawyer ask? He said, who is my neighbor? But what does Jesus say? At the end, he says, so who do you think proved to be a neighbor? It's not about who is my neighbor. It's not about where are my neighbors. I need to know who my neighbors are before I love them. No, that's wrong. We're thinking about it backwards. Jesus says, you go and be a neighbor. And again, here's the interesting thing. 
to start tying it all together. That commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. We read it earlier. Where does it come from? Leviticus 19.18. What is the word for neighbor that all the good Jewish boys and girls grew up learning? Love your Rhea as yourself. So put it all together. The question isn't how can I tell who my friends are? How can I make friends? How come people aren't my friend? Even though that's not necessarily wrong, we're thinking about it wrong. The question is, how can I be a friend? See, when you read Proverbs 17, 17, before, even when we read it today, be honest with yourself. Were you thinking about other people? Were you thinking about friends, old friends, ex-friends, potential friends, people here, neighbors that you have? Were you thinking about others? Man, I wish I had some good friends like this. How come my friends aren't like this? How come I can never meet people who are like this? That's okay, okay? That's not sinful. But that's not why this proverb was written. Not in its entirety. It wasn't written so that you can evaluate and judge all the reyes around you. The proverb was written so that you, the reader, could grow in the skill, the wisdom of friendship. Not just knowledge, not just thinking about people, but knowledge applied for yourself so that you can take this nugget of gold and invest it into your own life and get better at being a friend. See, here's the thing. If Jesus were here, he would ask you, he would turn it around. Do you show care and candor and constancy in your relationships? Do you abandon people when they aren't useful to you anymore? Or do you stick closer than a brother? I mean, if you think about the good Samaritan, that was not convenient at all, what he did. It was costly. It was hard. It was above and beyond. And that's what a neighbor is. Are you a good friend? Are you a good neighbor? Have you ever even thought about it until right now? And here we go full circle again. If you want to know if you're wise or a fool when it comes to friendship, you got to know what a rea is. You might be best friends with your childhood best friend in the same way that I was close with my cousin We had some good memories. We had some good vibes. But the real measure of wisdom or foolishness in your life, in your relationships, is are you a good friend slash neighbor slash Rhea to the people who are in your life every day? It's cool if you have friends online or if you have friends from the past. That's good. That's a blessing too. But the measure is how are you doing with the people around you? You love the people in your life, and that's it. It's the people who you've gone to church with for months, for years, who sit next to you and sing next to you and pray next to you, and yet you don't know anything about them. You don't even know their names sometimes. It's the people you see at school every single day. That's the measure. Am I a good friend to these people or not? It's the people you see at work. It's the people in our lives. We can't control what they do to us. What does the text say? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy, I suppose. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, maybe you're doubly convicted. Okay, I was already feeling bad because you said I had no friends. 
Now I feel like I'm a bad friend. Pastor, what's wrong with you? Can we get Eric back? Well, I have good news for you. Okay, before you clamor for Eric, turn with me to John 15. John chapter 15. And we'll land this plane. John 15, read with me verse 12. This is the upper room discourse, the last night that Jesus is alive before his death and resurrection. This is what he says when he's with his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his, do you see it? For his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus looks at these 11 guys. Judas already left, okay? But these 11 guys, and he knows exactly what they're going to do in a few hours, and he says, you are my friends. I mean, Peter, just a few minutes before, was boasting how he would stick with Jesus no matter what. He would lay down his life for Jesus. Is he going to do that? We know he's not. He lied. He lets Jesus lay down his life for him, but that was the plan. Peter, James, John, all the other disciples, they failed as friends. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And then he went to a cross and laid down his life for these bad friends. And if you're a Christian here today, and if you're convicted at all about the foolishness maybe of friendship in your life, Know this, that Jesus knew that you would be a bad friend. No offense, that I would be a bad friend. And he laid down his life for us anyway. The same man who could walk on water, raise the dead. The same man who could do the miracle of making new friends at the age of 30. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he calls us unworthy sinners, friends. And if you are a Christian here today, he actually gave his life for you. What more could you want? And if you're not a Christian here today, then know this, that Jesus died for sinners like us, and that you could be friends with the God of the universe, because he wants to. Jesus says, if you look at the rest of the text, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You didn't choose me. I chose you. So why don't you go out and what? Do likewise. We'll close here. St. Augustine described friendship as sweet beyond the sweetness of life itself. There's nothing better than friendship. A good friend is perhaps the greatest blessing of all time. Don't overthink it. You know, I was talking about Paul Fagg in the beginning, now an adult He was reflecting on his experience of trying to win friends and influence people. And he said what happened was he got into this weirdo, like, mode of manipulation where he was always trying to win people over to him, right? Exactly as the book title says, I got to win this person to like me, to make them want to be my friend. I got to influence them. And he realized that he was trying to control people in a selfish way. So he put the book away. He said, forget it. 
But the most important thing, the simplest thing, is actually just wanting to be friends with these people, these kids. If you take anything away from this proverb, don't overthink it. Okay, I know I got a little technical, but don't overthink it. Just be a friend. Bless you. Just try to be a friend to everyone God brings into your life by the grace that God himself supplies. You don't have to be perfect right away. This series is called Better. Okay? Jesus died because we weren't perfect, because we will never be perfect in this life. But he also died so that we could be better, so that we could be like him, our true friend. Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? God, it's crazy that we could come before you in your presence, the God of the universe, a consuming fire, a God of holiness, a God of wrath and justice with boldness. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. That we could come into your presence because Jesus chose us and called us friend. Father, we ask that you would help us to show the friendship that you showed us to others. There's nothing better than friendship. There's nothing better than friendship with you. I pray, God, that you would help us to show that blessing to our neighbors, to our friends, to our acquaintances, co-workers, to our brothers and sisters, to the people around us. Help us to be wise. God, I know that sermons like this can be hard to apply, I think. So God, I pray that you would just take this conviction of wanting to be better friends. Would you give us opportunities to live it out? And would you help us by your grace? You know our weakness. So we ask for your strength. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.